Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The PATH Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the PATH. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. All right. Well, we are in our Everyone, Every Day, Everywhere series. Uh, We are studying out the book of Acts in hopes that every one of us can maximize our impact as we partner with the Holy Spirit every day to share the gospel everywhere we go. Now, during this series, we are learning about everyday disciples like me and like you who are used by God to make an eternal impact in this world. So today, I want to speak on the topic of growing pains. Growing pains. Growing pains physically or what happens to young children as they're growing and hitting their growth spurts. They get little aches and pains uh, in their legs. But I want to talk about the pain or the discomfort that is felt by people and organizations as they experience growth. So I want to ask you this. What are some growing pains of a growing church? I want to see what y'all know about church, all right? What what y'all know about church? What experiences have you all had? What are some growing pains that that you believe happen as a church grows, as as it grows spiritually, as it grows in numbers, as it expands? What are some growing pains? Oh, I like this. Hard conversations, too many chiefs. All right. Deliberate sacrifice. Less connection to the ministry leaders. Absolutely. You don't feel as close when there's more and more people. The leaders can't be close to everyone in a deep way. Uh, People to serve the new people. Yes. A strain on uh, not just the leaders, but just volunteers, right? Just, just those of us who are just serving. There's conflict. Yes, there's more grief and death. People passing away, conversa- awkward conversations. Um, older Christians aren't open to change. All right, somebody's been around for a little bit. That's a, that's a, <laughs> as, as it transitions, generations change, absolutely. Uh, disconnect from church. Unmet needs. It's easier to get kind of lost in the number. Process changes. Yes. The pro- wow, y'all are good. The, 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 the processes that you have set up with a smaller church aren't the same that you have set up for a growing church. Yes. Differences of opinion. Not everyone willing to cooperate. All right. Y'all can stop now. Golly. All right. Jeez. Thank you. Thank you for your, your answers. No, we're ready for this sermon. We are ready for this sermon. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm sure I may, have, I may have not seen it, but I'm going to throw some in there from my own experience. You know, as, as more people come in, more people, more problems. So we bring our baggage. We bring our issues. You know, we bring our past experiences, positive or negative, whether uh, sometimes we bring our old, uh, church hurt from other uh, experiences and we may portray those things on the new church, right? Um, and when that happens, culture, our culture is tested because there's just more people coming that don't understand the culture of the church, how we do things, the, the culture that's based on biblical 
convictions and um, and, and hopefully if it's growing, that means there's more people becoming Christians, getting baptized, new life, spiritual babies, and we all know that babies make a mess. Babies are messy, and so it could be that our grace is tested, right? More people, they doing what? They doing that? Can they do that if they're doing that? I mean, it's just, okay, how are we going to handle our younger Christians as they come in uh, both uh, like chronologically, but spiritually young babies. So um, growing pains is exactly what the people and the church went through in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, but as the believers rapidly multiplied growth, there were rumblings of discontent, pain. And there's more to this story that I'm going to share. But I just want to start right here. I want to start and just take a moment right here to just, just dig into this one sentence, right? Uh, because too often, I believe, we equate growth with fun, excitement, satisfaction. When we're thinking about, man, I'm, I get to grow, I want to grow, I wanna, whether it's physically I'm going to grow stronger or in my profession I want to I get a promotion or I want to make more money. Like, it sounds great in our heads. And then we're taken aback when there's pain. We're, we're, we're shocked when others aren't excited like we are. And we get discouraged when others don't appreciate or applaud the success that we're having, or, or the success that the organization is having that they're a part of. It's like, we're doing good. Why, why, why do you have to bring us down? Right? Why do you got to be a party pooper? You know, it's like, why do you got to rain on our parade? Don't you see what God is doing in, in my life or, or in, in our ministry? Why, why? The negativity. Then we begin to question our purpose. We, we question our goals. We question even, even ourselves, right? Because in our minds, growth, which is often equated to success, it shouldn't hurt. Success shouldn't be painful. But growth and pain often happen at the same time because growth does not happen without change. And change does not happen without discomfort. And the Holy Spirit points this out in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says this, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. I got to confess, as a younger Christian and as a younger leader, I was shocked by church folks. I couldn't believe church people were so sinful, so unspiritual, so judgmental. I wasn't shocked by my sin. I was shocked by everybody else's sin, though. You know? Everybody else was struggling. Shocked. Couldn't believe it. Why would people turn on others like that? Why would people not be loyal 
I don't, I don't get it. Why would they make this seemingly small issue into this really big ordeal? Why do we do that? I was shocked. And yet the Spirit says, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked at the fiery trials that you are going through. Instead, understand that trials aren't strange, they're normal. Normal. Even when you're doing the right thing. Even when you're going after your dreams, even when you're experiencing growth. So instead, be happy, not simply because you're experiencing growth and success and achieving your goals and dreams, but because you get a chance to be like Christ. You get a chance to partner with Jesus. And the end of the matter will be better than the beginning. We'll experience the wonderful joy of seeing his glory. So that's why I always say for Christians, the best is always yet to come. It always gets better for Christians. We have heaven to look forward to. But we got to trust the process. we got to trust the process. Remember, 6-1, we just looked at it. As they grew. This is interesting, right? As they grew, while in the process of experiencing what Jesus died for, what they hoped for, what they prayed about, more people becoming Christians, the movement growing and spreading, everyone, every day, everywhere, in that process, there was pain. There was rumblings of discontent. Now, the crazy thing about it is sometimes we're the ones with rumblings of discontent in our own hearts. You ever get something you've been praying for and then catch yourself complaining about it? I've been there. I've done it. It's like, I, and I, always, I just think about God sometimes in the moment of clarity when I'm, when I'm not in my feelings, I think about God like, didn't you just pray about this? Like you were just complaining that you didn't have it. Now you're complaining that you do have it. Well, I can't win. God's up there like, how am I the problem? Here's the thing. Just because there are challenges doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. It does mean that there's opportunities in it for us to learn and become more like Christ. And I believe this is why. God cares more about who we become in the process than what we accomplish. He cares more about us becoming more and more like Christ than the things that we are accomplishing. So let's see. Let's keep reading here. We're going to come back to that. But let's see, let's see what was happening here. Let's read the full story. And let's see how they, how they responded. Back to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, 
Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread, to go everywhere. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. There's an old saying, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And they were experiencing that. But I said earlier, more people, more problems. There are rumblings of discontent and complaints of discrimination. Woo! Now, this could have gone really, really bad. If you've ever been part of a church conflict, <laughs> you know that things like this can go really bad really quickly. But the apostles, they, they didn't waver. They didn't get insecure about their mission or calling. They didn't question their purpose or their mission. And they didn't turn on each other. They didn't start pointing fingers and trying to blame others for the issues that came up. No, they just came up with a solution. The apostles, they embraced their limitations. They recognized that it was time to empower other people and mobilize the next generation. Now, if you're in a leader, leadership position of any kind in any organization and it's growing, these are some things that you can apply to your life and to your leadership. This is good for anybody that's part of something that's expanding. Number one, embrace your limitations as a leader. Understand you can't do everything, everywhere, for everyone. You got to be able to empower others. What does that mean? First, they got to believe that they have something to offer. Because in situations where there's one person or a group of people doing it all, there's other people that are sitting there like, oh, I guess I'm not needed. I guess they got it. Maybe they don't think I'm good enough. Maybe they don't think I have what it takes to serve in this way or to take on this responsibility uh, at this job, right? And so you got to understand your own limitations. I can't keep doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. I got to empower others and then I got to mobilize them. I got to figure out a way to onboard them and, 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 and give them responsibility where they can actually start living this out. That's what they did. They said, hey, y'all go ahead. They empowered the whole, the whole group of believers. Y'all bring me seven brothers. Who do y'all want to bring up? So everybody was involved in the solution. They didn't, they didn't figure it all out. They said, this is what God is telling us we should do. Y'all figure out seven men that can come on up here and, and, and help with serving food. It wasn't even big church leadership decisions. Come balance the budget. We just, we just need seven brothers that are going to be mature about taking on this, this whole program so, so that they were like, so that the apostles don't even have to think about it. We can continue to pray. We can continue to preach. We can continue to teach. These seven men were everyday disciples, and they themselves embraced the opportunity to be empowered, to take on this important responsibility so the apostles could focus on what they were uniquely in position, uh, position and called to do. They, they embraced it. You know, so often, we talk about this with our up-and-coming leaders, so often when we get a chance to have more responsibility at our jobs, we're more excited than when we get a chance to have more responsibility in the church. In the church, it's, it's like, oh, um, you need me to do what? You need me to do more? Can anybody else do it? I've been doing this. 
At the job, it's like, you need me to do what? You think I can go to that meeting? Oh, I would love to. Man, yeah, I got a few things, but I, I, I will be there, yes. We've had these conversations, that's real. And that's just part of maturing, really. It's really part of maturing for every single one of us. You know, we just had Brianna up here, and, and I'll never forget, when, as a young Christian, a younger Christian, she had just become a disciple, and she told the story of, I, I somehow found out that she was doing volunteer engagement, and I, I asked her, hey, can you come and, and help, help with the church? We need this. We need this. We need some kind of system, because uh, our system ain't working. And uh, it's working and done, but it, it's not working. Um, and, and I'll never forget her heart. She just said, I want to take this on. I want to take this off the plate. I don't want any of the, of the ministry leaders to have to worry about this. And that's how it was for the most part. I mean, unless she came up and asked, and asked questions and needed to get some advice, I mean, she just took it. And really, as a church girls, we need more and more Brianna's. I say, you know what, I'll just take this. Don't worry about it. I got this. And as skilled, as much expertise as we have in this church, where so many of you are in positions of leadership outside of the ministry, we need more and more people to just say, I got this. And what I love about it is more and more people are stepping up. More and more people are stepping up to do just that. And I appreciate it. Thank you, Brianna, for setting that example. You know, we see that God blessed their humility, blessed their unity. What we learn here is that when everyone does their part every day, the message will continue to spread everywhere. They kept growing. That's what happened, which means as they grow, there will be what? More pain. They got over one hurdle, but there's going to be more down the road. The point is that they continue to grow because they worked together through their growing pains of conflict in a healthy and spiritual manner. I'm grateful there's brothers in this church who remind me of these men, brothers who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, brothers who have persevered through their own personal growing pains in their own lives and, and growing pains that we've experienced in the 15-plus years of this church and sometimes in, in churches before the path. Men like Jason Morris, Ray Edwards, and Keegan Liba. Brothers like Dr. Kende Idowu and Quaison Manuel, men like Chase Nance and Misty Heron, just been in the trenches for years, over a decade, just serving, consistent, displaying a growing relationship with God, healthy one another relationships, even a healthy submission to spiritual authority. I can have talks with these brothers, and it's not like, oh, you're Angel the Preacher, I can't really tell you what I think, or I'm going to, no, it's like, hey, this is what I think, and I say, thank you. I can say I respectfully disagree, and it's okay. These are the conversations that I get to have with brothers like this. Brothers who are generous with their finances, with their time, with their gifts. Hey, what do I need to do? Their, their servant mindset that they have, they're, they're confident and capable in making disciples. And you know what the cool thing is? Most of these men became disciples while they were in college. Over 10 years ago, more for many of them. And they, much more for some of them. It's 
But it's such an example for who you all can become. The decisions you're making now, the decision to come to church today isn't just for today. It's for who you will be in the future. If you want to get married and start a family, who are you going to be for them? Who are you going to be for the church in five, ten plus years? Who are you going to be for the college students that come behind you? That's the decisions you're making today. Say, oh, college, just do whatever you want while you're in college. It doesn't work like that. They, people act like you could just turn, like, go from one reality to another. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink, smoke, be irrespons- irresponsible. I'm going to have sex with all these people in college and party. And then when I get out of college, and I'm going to be this person. Time to stop all that. How? You've built habits of doing all that for four, five, six. Sometimes say, don't listen to that worldly advice. Work on who you want to become now and look to examples that we have here in this church. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, the, for those who are married, the wives of these brothers. It's amazing women of God who, are, who really are strong where these brothers are weak, who have overcome things in their marriage, in their households, and continue to partner together uh, to, to, to share the gospel, to serve, uh, because really for the brothers that are married in this, in this list that I said, they couldn't be who they were, who they are without a great partner, which brings me to another lesson. No, I'm just going <laughs> to choose wisely. I'm, I'm going to leave that one there for the sake of time, but get to know these couples, get to know these couples. Um, we're blessed. We're blessed to have y'all. Uh, in this church. Let's see what happens to to one of these brothers, uh, Stephen, who decided to make sure all the widows had what they needed, okay? Let's see what happens to Stephen. Uh, Acts chapter 6, we're going to keep reading here in verse 8. Stephen, just mentioned above, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. You know, I should stop right there. The scriptures say that if you can be trusted with a little bit, you can be trusted with a lot. And so this is what happens with Stephen. Stephen starts off just serving, right? Just a waiter, make, making sure that the program is set for everybody to get fed, everybody to get taken care of. And then all of a sudden, he's performing these amazing miracles and these signs. And in verse 9, it says, but one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, or freedmen, uh, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. A lot of that, that region was in Africa. None of them, though, could stand against the wisdom of the spirit in which Stephen spoke. So they got mad. They persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blasphemy Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Sounds a lot like what Jesus just went through, right? 
And this was Stephen's reply. Now, I don't have time to read Stephen's reply because he goes on to, to, to espouse on the, the, the longest speech in the book of Acts. And he starts from the beginning of the story of the Israelites all the way to where they were at the moment they are then. And he closes out calling them a stubborn people, heathens at heart, and deaf to the truth. Woo! Talk about fire and brimstone. Acts 7.54 says this, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, they said, hold this. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He didn't hold a title. He was an everyday disciple with deep convictions. He was a man who was a voice to the voiceless. I don't know if you caught it, but he too was a Greek-speaking Jew. And so he stepped in to serve his Greek-speaking widows. Okay? And then, when winning a debate against other Greek-speaking Jews, that's who was a part of the synagogue of the freed slaves or freed men, right? When he wins debates against them, they persuade the people to come forward and lie about him. And when they ask him his response, he gives the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts. Not Paul, not Peter, Stephen, an everyday disciple with deep conviction. I'm not sure how, how long he had been following Jesus. It's just an everyday disciple doing his part every day to get the gospel everywhere. And he was willing to embrace the growing pains of not only the church, but his personal walk as well. Remember how I said this, God cares more about who we become in the process than what we accomplish? Remember that? Let's put it back on the screen. It's the next slide. We don't know all that Stephen accomplished. We know a little bit. We really don't even know what he could have accomplished because his life was cut short. And many others probably accomplished a lot more. But with his last words, we get to see how much like Christ he became, imitating the heart of Jesus on the cross, saying, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Now, I thought it was very interesting Really convicting, actually, for us as a church. These 
think it's seven words. Because I was studying the book of Acts this week, and I was asking God, God, what do you want me to share this week? And I'm reading through this story, and these seven words stop me in my tracks. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit reminds me of the little test, the, the, the question we asked last week. Go ahead and put up the results. What biblical truth do you have the hardest time standing up for? And overwhelmingly, we said loving your enemy. Now, I'm, I'll be honest with you. When this one was it, I was like, I was a little bit surprised last week. But as I was spending time with God, I'm really not that surprised at all. Because that's probably the greatest challenge the American church has today. That's one of, if not the biggest reason why America is where we are today because Christians are having a hard time living out one of the basic teachings of Jesus. But while it's, I believe, the greatest challenge, I also believe it's the greatest opportunity because Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 43, he says, you have heard the law That says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Go to the next slide so they can read it with us. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans, heathens, people that don't believe in God at all, they do that. Atheists are nice. Agnostics are kind, right? But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's easy to love those who love us. Guys, that's, that's easy. But that love, it is love. It doesn't set us apart. It doesn't give the world hope. It doesn't make a difference at our jobs or at our schools. That's normal. You expect that kind of love. You don't expect the one that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, I, don't charge them. Instead of, give them what they, what, what, what they deserve, Lord. No, don't give them what they deserve. I'll take it for them, Stephen's saying. Just like Jesus. My question for us is, are we willing to go through the pain of growing to be more like Christ? Or have we drawn lines in the sand? Have we set limits to our relationship with God, to our discipleship? Have we set limits? When we set limits, that's really no discipleship at all. It just isn't. We, we may not understand it all. We may not even be there yet, right? But we must be willing to accept all of Christ's teachings and willing to allow the Holy Spirit to help us grow in those teachings, even if it hurts. Are you willing 
Or have you said, no, mm -mm, the oppressor, I ain't loving him. The white supremacist, no, I ain't, I ain't loving that person. They ain't getting my love. The scammer, uh-uh, you know, no, not them. Uh-uh, the cheater, the thief, the one that talks behind my back, the one that is causing all types of mess in my life, my abuser, not, uh, not them. We may not be there yet. I'm not there yet. Right? In some ways, I'm just not. But I'm willing to let the Spirit keep working on me. And I want you to join me in that. And if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to be really hard if you don't brace this basic conviction. You want to know why? Because this is the only reason why we even have a chance to be disciples of Jesus. Because Jesus decided to love his enemies. And guess who we were? His enemies. You understand that? We, we could not be disciples of Jesus if Jesus didn't love his enemies. You call me an enemy of God? The Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies... We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. There was a point I was an enemy of God. Some of us today are enemies of God. If you're not right with God, if you have not decided to follow Jesus, if you're not all in, if you, if you haven't repented, been baptized for the forgiveness of your sin, you're, you're an enemy of God. But, but does he love me? Yeah, he loves you because he loves his enemies. And the way he loves his enemies is even greater than the way we're even able to love our fellow brother and sister. Thank God that he's chosen to love his enemies, to send rain on the just and unjust alike, to bless the just and unjust alike. Because if he didn't live like this, we wouldn't even have an opportunity. So will we embrace this pain for those of us who are actively seeking to grow in our relationship with God, maybe we know we're not there yet. I know there was a point in my life I knew I wasn't right with God. I wasn't trying to fake it. Maybe we're at that point like, man, I know I ain't right, but I'm trying to get right. I'm trying to grow. There's going to be pain involved. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm not going to say it's all going to be, you know, easy. This is going to be blessings upon blessings and this, you know, prosperity gospel. That's not... There's going to be pain involved, the pain of sacrifice, because Jesus sacrificed. There's going to be pain of loss. We even, we even, there's even pain in, in, in the loss of things that aren't even good for us, but there's still loss. It still feels like it. Pain of uncertainty. We lived one way for a while. I don't know what this new life is going to look like. There's going to be pain. But we get to choose to undergo the pain of growth or suffer the pain of eternal regret. Jesus chose the pain of growth. Stephen chose the pain of growth. And if you know what happens, and if you don't know what happens, I'll tell you after that, this sparked the greatest persecution of the early church. So once Stephen died... The, the persecutors went crazy. They scattered the disciples throughout the region. So the disciples started running away. They're like, whoa, we can die? 
There's going to be death involved. They started running away, getting away from Jerusalem. Saul was the leader of it. He was dragging people out of their homes. So there's, there's people in their homes preaching, teaching, eating together like we read about earlier in Acts. And Saul is coming in there with his crew dragging people, men, women, children, out of their homes, putting them in prison. That was what broke out after Stephen was killed. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says this. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Growing pains. Let's go ahead and pray for our communion. Father, we come to you at this time, Lord, first and foremost, acknowledging your love, your holiness, your kindness, and also acknowledging how we fall short. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you will have mercy on us. We thank you for that. But we also ask that you'll help us to repent, Lord. We also ask that you will help us to grow. Lord, you know where each one of us is. You know the, the challenges every single one of us face. You know the, the enemies that are in our lives that we're facing, that we're battling through. And God, I, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. And yet I know here lies our greatest opportunity Lord, we know we cannot love like this in and, of our, in and of ourselves. We know it has to be you, your Holy Spirit, working through us. And we ask for that. Fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit as we overcome the pains of growth, Lord God. And stay grateful that these are the pains we get to experience, not the pains of, of complacency or, or, or anything else, God, but the the hard things that come from blessings and growth. Help us to persevere through it so that we can continue to experience what you have in store for us personally in our own lives and together as a church. Right now as we take uh, this cracker that signifies the body of Christ that was painfully broken for our sins and this juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. Father God, I pray that you will fill our hearts with gratitude and conviction to make decisions this week that will make an impact for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.